0: Hello everyone, and welcome The History of the Great War episode 115. This week, I would like to thank listeners Joshua and James for their donations to the show this week. If you would like to donate to keep this train a-rolling, you can find the link at historyofthegreatwar.com slash donate. I would also like to thank the show's newest Patreon subscriber, Joe who now has access to special Patreon-only episodes, like the one released last year at about this time, detailing the situation in neutral Spain during the war. You can find out more information about the Patreon campaign and become a supporter of the show at patreon.com slash historyofthegreatwar. Also, on a programming note, this will be our last episode for several weeks, as we are moving in the first week of May. My plan is to have the next episode out by May 7th, when we will travel to the Italian front to catch up on the action there. This week, though, we are back in Romania, and when we last left the theater, Falkenhayn had advanced into the mountain passes over the Carpathians, and in the south, Mackensen had turned back the Romanian attack across the Danube. It was from these positions that the Germans, Austrians, and Bulgarians would plan to finish off the Romanians with an attack from both the north and the south, with the two German generals meeting up in Wallachia. The Romanians still hoped for Russian help, but it would be slow in arriving because they made it clear that they would only assist in the defense of Moldovia, which was the eastern half of Romania. In Wallachia, where the capital of Bucharest was, they were on their own. Before we get to the invasion of Wallachia, though, let's talk some more about what was happening in the Dobruja. Mackinson planned to push further into the region through an attack of two battle groups which contained mostly Bulgarian troops, but also some German and Turkish men. For the defense, there would be a mixture of Romanians and Russians. This was that token force of Russians that moved south in the opening weeks of hostilities. The positions that these troops manned were abysmal, and since retreating from the frontier, they had done little to improve them. This meant that when the attack began with a bombardment, it was disastrous. On the Romanian right, the troops were shattered by the bombardment, and quickly began to pull back from the front. In the center, the Romanians held momentarily, but one Russian division gave way under the assaults of a Turkish division, which put them into general retreat. On the Romanian left, the situation was mostly the same. This resulted in the Germans quickly moving into Constanta, which was the major Romanian port on the Black Sea. This port was the best method of accessing the Black Sea for the Romanians, and it would end up being captured without a fight. The Russian leadership wanted it completely destroyed, but the Romanians refused, as they would do so many times when called upon to destroy pieces of their own country by their allies. Since they rejected the idea of destroying this city, the enemy captured the port facilities and everything that it had in it intact. This included large stocks of oil and grain, which had been on their way out of the country. This was by far the largest objective in Dobruja, as far as the Germans were concerned. And with it captured, Mackensen turned an eye to the other side of the Danube and the Romanian capital of Bucharest. Up to this point, the attempts to defend Ibrugia had been a disaster for Romania. Precise casualty numbers are hard to come by. However, it was most likely over 75,000 men. Almost 40,000 of these were taken prisoner between September 1st and October 15th. Not all was perfect for the Bulgarian, German, and Turkish coalition, though. The Germans were controlling everything, including the railroads and infrastructure that had been captured something that the Bulgarians believed was their right to control. There was also a growing unease among Bulgarian leadership due to the Turkish participation. Now that the Turkish troops were in the front lines and attacking, visions of Ottoman occupations that had haunted centuries of Bulgarian history began to come to the surface. This would not greatly affect the outcome of the campaign, but I think it's an interesting insight into the mindset of the Bulgarians, even if they could not act on them due to German strength. We now turn our eyes back northward. The Carpathians appear at first glance to be a highly defensible area, especially as the seasons turn from autumn and into winter. There were only about 15 passes that an enemy could use to attack through, and the Germans and Austrians would only end up choosing five for their efforts. Even though there were only 15 passes, all of them had to be manned though, since they did not know which would be chosen, while the Germans and Austrians could concentrate their men into the exact area where they planned to attack. It did not help the Romanian effort that in the years before the war, the permanent defenses in the mountain passes had been neglected and had fallen into disrepair, as the Romanians planned to advance beyond them anyway, so it did not seem worth using any of Romania's limited budget on improving them. When it came down to how to enter Romania, the Germans and Austrians disagreed on the best route. The Austrians wanted to move directly east and into Moldovia, which would be the harder road but also the more lucrative since it would push the Romanians back into Wallachia where they would be more vulnerable to the coming Bulgarian attack from the south. Falkenhayn and the Germans were concerned that the road east would be too difficult, and the troops would get bogged down in the passes, and therefore he wanted the quick win of advancing into Wallachia from the north, which would then combine the strengths of the northern and southern army groups. Initially, Falkenhayn would be overruled, resulting in an attack east being launched first. However, it met with almost no success, and instead just heavy casualties, which resulted in the, in the idea of being abandoned. Even when all parties agreed to attack south, there was still disagreement about which route to take. Falkenhayn eventually appealed directly to Ludendorff to get his plan approved, which involved an attack through the Zou Pass. There would also be an attack by the Austrian troops through the Brazov Passes. These attacks would be launched near the end of October, which meant that the mountains were transitioning from autumn and into winter. Snow was already falling at higher elevations on October 17th, and by the end of the month there would be blizzards in some areas, depositing over a meter of snow. This was not exactly ideal weather to either attack or defend the mountain passes in, and the troops would be dealing with weather issues for the entire campaign. Estimates vary on the exact effect of these conditions, but some German casualty estimates put the casualties to weather at up to 25% of the total. Falkenhayn would push through the Zhu Pass, where the Romanian defenders were having a rough time and would be in full retreat. Falkenhayn often found that the weather was as much of a problem as the Romanians, and he had to push his men hard to continue through it. Falkenhayn was working against the clock and trying to get into the Wallachia plain before the harshest of winter weather descended on the mountains. On October 27th, with heavy rain falling on the German troops, they seemed poised to finally completely break through the Romanian lines, when the Romanians counterattacked, The German troops were exhausted, and they had not had time to consolidate their positions, they were just so tired. The Romanian attack was successful, with small groups of German troops isolated and surrounded. The German front was on the verge of collapsing, with casualties of almost 4,000. This action caused both sides to suspend operations for the time being, with the Germans reeling from the defeat and the Romanians celebrating their success. This respite from German attacks was temporary, though. Falkenhayn knew that he was still running out of chances to try and fail to put the Romanians to flight, and he therefore had assembled all of the men under his command for one more attack. The pause let him assemble 40 infantry battalions, which would be attacking just 18 Romanian battalions. This overwhelming force would attack on November 12th. The hope was that the infantry would push through the Romanians and allow 52 cavalry squadrons to move through them and have a run on Wallachia before the Romanians could react. Over the two-day battle, the Romanian resistance collapsed. They suffered heavy casualties before they did finally collapse, and in many ways fought better than they had any right to with some regiments suffering 75% casualties before they disintegrated. Overall, there was just not a way for them to overcome the numerical advantage of the Germans. The result was that the Austro-German Ninth Army was now unleashed into the Romanian heartland of Wallachia, and because of that, the entirety of the southern Carpathian defenses in the other passes were compromised and had to be abandoned. Once through the passes, the cavalry was unleashed, and they moved south and into the heart of Wallachia. The entire situation was in disarray, and in Romanian high command, they were frantic to find a way to slowly advance, and to give themselves time to organize some kind of defense. Because of this, they told all the troops in the western part of the country to resist until the very end. Their orders were to fight until they were in a situation of imminent capture, and then destroy all of their artillery and equipment and fight as partisans. These orders resulted in the deaths of 10,000 soldiers, which included several Romanian generals. The Romanians hoped that this would buy them time to assemble a counterattacking force on the Olt River, which was the only natural barrier left between the attackers and the capital of Bucharest. The goal was to slow the enemy advance enough to allow Winter to further move in and to hopefully slow the Germans down, and maybe if they could delay long enough and wait for the weather to fully deteriorate, they would be able to hold out until the Russians arrived. Hopefully. However, as they assembled their troops, the entire plan was completely negated by the enemy cavalry. They reached the river Olt and were able to cross it on an intact bridge which the Romanian defenders tried and subsequently failed to destroy. Has made the attempt to hold the enemy at the old Amut point, and they would now have to come up with another plan. Meanwhile, in the south, Mackinson was planning to cross the Danube at sistov Preparations for this attack had been taking place for some time now, with Bulgarian railroad upgrades, new roads built, and bridges strengthened to handle the increased traffic. All of this effort was made to make sure that supplies and men could be moved north with ease. The forces to complete the crossing were five divisions, which had a few big advantages. First, there was heavy seasonal fog, which concealed many of their preparations and their actual crossings. Second, the Romanian forces were very thinly spread on the river, since many troops had been sent to the Carpathians to try and help deal with the breakout there. Therefore, the defenders of the Danube only had about half the number as were attacking them on the night of November 22nd, and they would prove to not be strong enough to stop the crossing. In about a day and a half, there was already a pontoon bridge across the river. The crossing was not greatly slowed by Romanian action, and almost instantly Mackinson and his forces were just 60 kilometers from Bucharest. In the Romanian government, anybody who was not panicking before, they were now. All hopes moved to a possible counterattack against the forces of the Ninth Army in the west. There were a group of divisions, about four of them, at least on paper, that had been put together for the old operation that were now searching for a purpose. The thought was that they could be launched against the 9th Army to slow them down, hopefully stop them, and maybe just maybe start to push them back. Once this task was done, they could then be turned south to deal with Mackinson. This would at least buy some time, if nothing else. Maybe enough for the Russians to finally show up? Maybe, if they ever were going to? This counterattack was launched on December 1st. Reports of a great success initially made their way through the Romanian military. However, while one German infantry division was surrounded by three Romanian divisions, immediately after the attack was launched, there were more German troops on the way to throw the attackers back. With the Austro-German counterattack, the weaknesses of the Romanian units began to show. These units were compositions of many hard-hit formations that had been clumped together and a single company might contain units from five or six or more regiments. This action was necessary to get the numbers high enough to launch the attack, but it was disastrous for cohesion. They were also exhausted and demoralized, which certainly didn't help the situation. These problems were bad enough when the counterattack started, but by the time the German reaction, their numbers had been thinned even more. With some formations losing half of their men in the initial attack and then having to deal with the Germans and Austrians showing up. Soon panic began to spread through the units and the situation went south quickly. Many Romanian and Allied leaders hoped that this attack would be the Romanian Marne where the German attackers were thrown back at the gates of the capital. It wasn't and they weren't. Romanian leaders did not yet fully understand just how quickly and completely their forces had fallen apart. Because of this, they had orders out to some units, some large units, stuck in place while enemies roved around behind their rear to defend their positions. But now the only hope was to order a retreat of all Romanian troops to the east of the capital, which meant that they were surrendering Bucharest into the hands of the enemy. However, it would also mean that it would not be destroyed. The decision to not defend the capital would save the city from the heavy bombardment of German artillery that would almost certainly destroy large sections of the historic city. The defense of the city probably would not have gained much in time for the Romanians anyway, since the troops that were there would have been rapidly surrounded while the rest of the Germans and Austrians moved on. However, the sacrifice of the capital to the enemy did nothing to help the already low morale. On December 6th, the Mackensen arrived in an open automobile to accept the surrender of the city. German troops moved in, but were under strict orders not to plunder or damage the city. They mostly obeyed this order. However, they did find ways to make sure they got new clothes and shoes from the shops in the city, since even at this point in the war, what they were receiving from the army was not of the highest quality. The Germans more importantly captured many Romanian industrial centers in Wallachia intact, places like Platoiski, which was a center of Romanian oil production. The Romanians were hesitant to destroy such facilities, but the British liaisons in the capital were not. A British Lieutenant Colonel John Norton Griffiths would go around trying to destroy as much of the Romanian industry as possible before it fell into German hands, and the Romanians were really left powerless to stop him. It got to the point that even the French were telling the British to calm down and to quote moderate their campaign of destruction. With the Romanians on the back foot, you know, having just surrendered their capital, the Austro-German forces gave chase. Falkenhayn was especially adamant that the pursuit had to be pushed to the absolute max. They were slowed not so much by Romanians as by the weather. A near constant rain meant that the roads became rivers of mud. It also made the rivers swollen and bridges more important, bridges that were often damaged or destroyed by the retreating troops. All that the Romanians could do was to try and destroy the bridges and continue their move east. However, not everybody could move fast enough, and in the first week of December, the 9th army alone captured 60,000 Romanian soldiers. Even those formations that were technically evading capture had their numbers drastically reduced during this period, with many Romanian divisions down to about 1,000 men, from 15,000 at the start. The Romanians were still pleading with the Russians for help, and they continued to get more desperate. Here's part of the appeal that was sent after the fall of the capital. Quote, Our troops are very tired and will not be in condition to hold against the German troops, better equipped and with high morale. The situation is critical, and it concerns not only our fate, but also the fate of the entire war for Russia. End quote. Even Alexiev, the long opponent of sending any Russian forces to Romania, knew that it was time that they did something. However, to do this, they wanted some concessions from the Romanians, namely that the surviving Romanian forces would be folded into the Russian order of battle, and Russian generals given full control over their actions. For the Romanians, even in their desperate state, this was still a step too far, and they resisted successfully. Instead, the most that the Russians got was a chief of staff position with the Romanian general staff. However, it would not be until mid-December that the Russians would arrive in force, and when they did, they found that the rail lines leading into Moldovia would not meet their needs. Their troops needed 400 train cars a day in supplies, but the lines only supported about 200. But Moldovia still needed to be defended, even the Russians agreed to that, since it was the best way to keep the Germans out of southern Russia but its defense was not guaranteed. However, the entire Russian 4th Army would be sent to attempt to assist the Romanians in achieving it. The final two battles of the 1916 Romanian campaign would take place in late December. The first would occur near remniku Sarat, where the Russian and Romanian troops had created a new line of resistance in the hills to the west of the city. They had been able to do this because of how much the advancing enemies had been slowed by the weather. However, after several days of artillery bombardment and the attack from Bavarian infantry, the Russians chose to abandon the positions and move to the northeast. This abandoned what was left of Wallachia into German hands, and it also made the Romanians question the Russian desire to defend Moldovia. The final battle of the year was at Focșani. This area was a critical communications path between Wallachia and Moldavia and the romanians had fortified the city heavily in the years before the war as an anchor in a defensive line designed to keep enemies from traversing between the two sections of the country there was just one problem most of the fortifications had been built at a time when the biggest threat to romania was not from the west but instead from a russian invasion from the east and so the defenses faced northeast and south and not many of them faced west, which is where the enemies were approaching from in 1916. Because of this mistake, the fortifications were not able to provide the required assistance to the defenders, and the German and Austrian attack was successful. On January 7th, they, the Romanians and Russians retreated across the Putna River, and the 9th Army decided that this was far enough and went over to the defensive for the winter. With that move to the defensive, the attacks on Romania were over for now. The Germans put further attacks on the hiatus, as they had other theaters to concern themselves with. The Austrians were in much the same situation, and so for the next six months, not much would happen for the armies in Romania. Overall, the Romanian decision to enter the war had been a disaster. They had lost 310,000 men killed, wounded, or taken prisoner, They also had very little to rebuild these casualties from, because so much of their country was now in enemy hands. On the flip side, the Austrians, Germans, and Bulgarians were now preparing to exploit Wallachia to its fullest potential. Over the course of the next year, the following quantities of goods would be removed from Romania and sent primarily to Germany and Austria. A million tons of oil, two million tons of grain, roughly the same amount of other food products... 200,000 tons of timber, 100,000 head of cattle, 200,000 goats, 200,000 pigs. That was just the amount exported as well, and does not account for the amount requisitioned to feed the armies that were present in the country itself. The Germans had paid a high price for these resources, though, with casualties of around 60,000. However, without the massive infusion of material into the Central Powers war machine, it is unlikely that the societies, especially the Austrians, would have been able to hold out through 1917 and into 1918. There was also another benefit, and that was in the form of how they forced Russia to respond. The defense of the New Romanian Front would take 36 infantry and 11 cavalry divisions, which represented a quarter of the total number of troops available to the entire Russian army. That's a lot, and it prevented the Russians from really doing anything in 1917. The Romanians would stay in the war until 1918, although negotiations for their exit would begin in early February. The destruction of what was left of the Russian army in 1917, both by enemy action and the revolutions, meant that the Romanians' positions was simply untenable. However, negotiations were slower than expected, due not to Romanian obstinacy, but instead by internal bickering between the victorious countries. The Romanian King Ferdinand was realistic about the situation that his country was in, and was generally accepting of any peace treaty that kept his country as a sovereign nation, even if it was under some level of control by somebody else. At this point, he and the other Romanian leaders were just concerned about the Russian Revolution spilling across the border and into their country. However, on the other side of the table... First, Bulgaria and the Ottomans both wanted Brugia, with while at the same time the Germans and Austrians were openly bickering about who would control Romania. Initially, the Austrians were going to have it, with the Germans retaining a heavy say in how their economy was exploited. However, when Hindenburg and Ludendorff found out about this agreement, they simply refused to entertain it. They also vetoed another proposal that would trade German influence over Romania for Austrian influence over Poland. These disagreements created a rift between not just the Austrians and Germans, but also between the German military and their political representatives. There were a few accounts of of the two German groups openly arguing in front of the Austrians, which did nothing to move the German case forward. The German Secretary of State, Kuhlmann, was able to bring negotiations to a conclusion eventually, with Romania being pretty much a vassal state of Germany, The Romanians also had to pay the full cost of all occupying forces, and also provide food and money for Romanian prisoners of war. This would all be in a treaty that was signed on May 7th, 1918. While it ended as a victorious campaign for the Central Powers, it is illuminating that even in their moment of triumph, there were deep rifts between the countries, and also inside of them. These rifts would continue to widen as the war progressed, and then open into giant chasms upon its completion. It also provides some insight into what would have happened if the war would have been won by the central powers. There was deep-seated mistrust between the military leaders of Germany and Austria, and Ludendorff and Hindenburg pretty much believed that after the war, there would be another between the central powers at some point. And so all they were trying to do was position their country as best as possible in this post-war future for another war against Austria where they needed things like Romania and Poland to sustain their war efforts. But anyway, that's enough about a hypothetical future that didn't happen. Thank you for listening to this episode about the conclusion of the Romanian campaign. And I hope you will join me in about a month as we go once again to old Italia. This is Carl on his motorcycle. Let's ride till we run out of gas! And this is Carl off his motorcycle. Also, what is very different than teak, people confuse the two. On his motorcycle. Hey, check out that view! Off his motorcycle. Let's do puzzles in the break room. On. Look at all that open road! Off. Look how long my fingernails are getting. You're better on your bike. Progressive helps keep you on it. Get a quote in as little as three minutes at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.